Hey, welcome back to the Hope and Mom and Dad podcast. This is episode 20. I can't believe we've reached this many episodes. Uh, this podcast is all about IVF, infertility, and everything related to fertility awareness. And we're just trying to raise awareness about it and talk about it a bit more, make it more normal. How are you, Fuzz? Really, really tired. <laughs> I mm. feel like that's all we ever say, but it's true. We're mm-hmm. always tired. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. Um, mm to produce a podcast put it all together and whatever so like mm-hmm. on top of like being busy anyway is uh you know not complaining i'm just uh a bit deflated obviously we've had rubbish news lately and stuff so you know it's there's not any there's not anything to get really excited about at the moment so yeah no news for us so it's a bit like meh. but that's just part of the that's just part of everything, isn't it? Can't yeah. Be, can't be like awesome and exciting all the time. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, we haven't got much news. I have had a busy time at work. You've had a busy time working for yourself. Mm-hmm. How is everybody else? I hope you're all okay and doing well listening. I'm. One thing I'm happy about is that it's autumn and I really like this season because it's like cozy, you can get snuggly and yeah. It's just one of my favourite seasons, so I'm glad. I love that too, but I'm also really gutted because I can't really work properly. You know, Mm. I do a lot of family portraits and stuff this time of year. Yeah. I probably could, but I haven't even thought about it because I don't know what people's reaction is going to be like. And Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just... Normally you take advantage of all the colours changing. You're very autumnal today in your t-shirt. Yeah. Rusty. uh, That's most, most of my wardrobe yeah is that anyway matches your head mm-hmm. your auburn hair for those of you who are not watching but listening mm-hmm. so is i gave a, myself a haircut as well i don't know if you can tell that really. like a celtic redhead you you'd only be able to see if you can if you're watching yeah you'd only be able to see if you can see obviously but um yeah it was pretty bad and then a couple of days later it kind of just passable i think your hair you grow yeah. into it yeah I think that's but normal. I really messed it up. <laughs> I know that my hairdresser will probably hate me because since lockdown, I've just been trimming my ends I, myself. So they're probably wonky, but I don't care. Mm. No one seems to have noticed. So hopefully I'm getting away with it. Mm-hmm. At least to stay fresh. Are you going to tell everyone about the guests we've got on today? Yeah, this week we had a really great guest, um, Sandy Christiansen, who is a fertility coach. Um, so a different angle that we normally come from. If you don't know what a fertility coach is, don't worry about it. We did. Well, I didn't either. And this episode explains that very clearly. Yeah. And it's actually pretty interesting and uh, potentially helpful for people. Because at first, I when Becky said fertility coach, I went, who is trying to get money off you? Mm-hmm. Like like as in providing a service that isn't valuable and all yeah. that kind of stuff but um i am convinced i've turned you know i yeah. listen you know it was really awesome to hear so like if you're like me and you're like but you're probably not if you're listening you're probably like anything i can do i'll do mm. and, you know wherever but from a cynical point of view uh i was skeptical yeah and then uh i'm fully convinced turn turn around good Loved it. yeah so um that's what the podcast is this week but also it's worth mentioning um if you're listening and you're up to date this week and this month is baby loss awareness week and month um so it's um a huge time in the trying to conceive community where people are talking about um baby loss infant loss miscarriage and there's a wave of light later on this week in fact it might be tomorrow i'm not very in the know and maybe you're not either um, but definitely worth checking out some Instagram pages. I've been trying to share them around and possibly if that's something you've experienced, which I'm really sorry if you have, but if it is, then perhaps you might like to speak to a fertility coach about your next steps and ways forward. So this might just be the episode for you and I hope everyone's doing okay because it can be a heavy time if if that's what you've experienced. So send in lots of hugs. Um, so yeah. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with Sandy. Happy listening. So, um, hi, Sandy, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. It's um, a slightly different angle than we sometimes do so far. Um, and you are um, a specialist in the field of fertility and currently working as a fertility coach. Correct. Yeah. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about that and you and what you are up to? Sure. Um, so I trained as an embryologist and I worked as an embryologist in IVF for 10 years and uh, quite recently made the move into coaching. And um, I'm currently supporting clients through both sort of mentoring them through their IVF um, treatments. So through a cycle, because obviously that's a little bit my expertise, um, but also um, a couple of my clients are sort of pre-IVF and it's guiding them a bit more through the sort of um, emotional aspects of struggling with infertility, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's um, a really interesting thing that you're into and that you're doing because um, obviously it is, like you mentioned, the emotional side there, the emotional um, toil, I'm going to say, <laughs> the toil and the kind of stresses that go through fertility treatment when you're having it are, are a lot. And I think um, it's a common thing that fertility clinics offer counselling, but... Um, I don't think in the NHS in particular anyway, they necessarily offer it to everyone more so if you ask Mm. or if you've been through something particularly traumatic. So then for other people who are interested in counselling anyway or might have experienced it in their past for other reasons, um, might then be a bit lost because they don't know, you know, other counsellors might not be specialists like you are. (laughs) Um, Well, it's, I think... The coaches aren't necessarily new, but I think it might be hard for people to find us. Um, And that's just one of those hurdles. And I think it's there's there's a lot of um, sort of open dialogue now about raising awareness, both for infertility, but also sort of infertility support. Um, I I worked in the NHS and we we did have a counsellor and I think sessions were only offered to those who actually needed um, like or or had donor services because that Mm -hmm. was a requirement by the HFEA. Um, So they weren't necessarily offered um, free to people Mm -hmm. uh, who might have needed that emotional support. Um, And I, yeah, I think it's, there's a bigger focus on it now there have been a few studies that have highlighted it in in actual like medical journals so there have Mm -hmm. been published scientific papers saying that this is actually it's a big thing and you've got your patients who are going through their fertility treatments but uh, simultaneously going through emotional struggles that um, I mean one paper um, linked it to similar stress um which is caused with people who have cancer diagnosis for example Mm -hmm. so um there there is there is a lot going on (laughs) for people who are struggling with infertility and I think there's definitely a um a sort of gap in the treatment there and I think that's the the gap that coaches like me are trying to fill yeah Um, it's really important work I think that study that you've just mentioned as well Mm -hmm. about likening the mental and emotional struggles that people go through with fertility to um cancer patients I've Mm -hmm. I've read or heard about that before Mm -hmm. and it's um quite intense really Mm -hmm. I knew that it was difficult for us and we were having a hard time but when I heard that I was like oh so it's kind of common and it's normal it kind Mm -hmm. of gives you that bit of validation yeah absolutely. so I wanted to ask um I'm probably a bit loud there for the listeners sorry um (laughs) So you, uh, obviously you and Becky have been talking a little bit. I'm kind of fresh into the conversation. Um, so I might ask some questions that you might have already told Becky already. But um, that's just me. I like to do everything like naively and fresh faced into it all because it helps kind of, uh, it helps, I think. So um, you, like, can I just ask, you know, like mm-hmm. when you worked for the NHS, the, um, can you just kind of bullet point it like your role and what that include like included you know like absolutely um so I was employed as um, a senior at the time so my role was performing all of the um methods and and actual uh techniques that we use as embryologists and and training um our junior members of staff as well so in terms of what we did in the lab it was everything from um sperm prep 
for treatment. It was collecting the eggs. So we sit on the other side of the theater and we, we look through test tubes under a microscope and we actually look for the eggs. Um, and then it was um, fertilizing them, uh, both with IVF or with ICSI, um, transferring them for embryo transfer um, assessment every day, grading the embryos, um, calling patients, letting them know quality and things like that, freezing them. So everything that goes behind the yeah. doors of the lab, that's... <laughs> yeah. The magical so, mystery uh, as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so everyone that... Um, so any anyone in the UK that's having IVF treatment on the NHS, am I right in thinking they're under the care of a consultant who's kind of like... Is that right? And then, like, there's a team of everyone else, which is includes you people. Or is that not true at all? <laughs> it is, but... Um, it's more of an administration thing. It's... I think it's, it's tricky. It depends on which clinic you go to, how large the clinic is and how small the clinic is. Um, because, ideally, you would want to have one main consultant that, that you see throughout everything, but that's often not the case. Mm -hmm. So you might see a consultant for um, an initial consultation who, who comes up with your treatment plan, and then your next appointment might be a nurse just fulfilling the details of that and telling you how to administer your drugs. You might not actually see that consultant again. He might not be the one doing your egg collection. He might not be the one. Or she. Or she. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or she. She's usually me that does that. And might not be the one doing your embryo transfer. So um, that, yeah, they, they would still be your main consultant and they would be. Um, but ultimately you have like yeah. a team of people. Yeah. And like, uh, and on paper a consultant mm. is in charge but Correct. kind yes. of but Absolutely. like everyone sort of picks up the you know picks up the slack here and there and it's kind of <laughs> there is putting puzzle pieces together not picking up slack but yeah, yeah. well I, yeah I, don't I suppose it's like um any treatment that requires a surgery because essentially that's what uh couples go through at uh, the women in particular yeah. um it's a theater procedure isn't it so um if you went through any treatment um, you'd have a consultant who sees you and they're the specialist in that, but they might not be the one to perform the procedure. Correct. And then also you'd have anaesthetists that come in and mm. nurses that support the... But I was just kind of interested is yeah. in the sort of relationship between a patient. Patient comes in, mm. we mm. want to have kids, we need IVF. They see, like, it's, you know, like with everything, it's kind of like you have like a over figure at the top, your consultant, yeah. but generally it's a lot of people underneath that consultant that you kind of work with yeah, and speak exactly. to and do stuff i yeah. think sandy you were like a key person in it all obviously because yeah. without an embryologist ivf cannot happen and it it is it is a very much a team sport i was gonna say but no it is yeah. um you you have to work as a team and, and everyone I, is equally important honestly like everyone is necessary yeah 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 um so you um like how did you become like i'm just interested in mm -hmm. like you as a person and like sure. how you became like into the job that you do you know like is it something you've always wanted to do or is it kind of like you were science based and then sort of do you mean lean... coaching now or before well, when i got the... into embryology yeah embryology i was going to talk about that and then basically <laughs> yeah. i was just going to no, and, we, and we could focus on how you got you know you transitioned from that to where you are today because uh i don't know i just want to know i'm just interested no, absolutely um i honestly when i um so i went to university in sweden and i did not know that i could with my degree become an embryologist mm -hmm. um and i mean my my first boss would would remember and be able to recite this um the <laughs> same description i happened to be on a sort of post-university gap year and was applying for jobs when I was in Thailand because <laughs> I was like I'm about to go home soon and I don't I don't have a job to return to and I found and I found this ad and I thought it just sounded amazing and I happened to know someone who was doing a master's or a bachelor's project in, in the clinic. Um, so he was kind enough to put in a good word for me because we had worked together at um, a blood lab as that was my first job when I, when I graduated mm -hmm. from uni. Um, and so yeah, luckily that kind of, that got my foot in the door and yeah, 
from the first few weeks. I mean, it was just, I, I was amazed by everything that went on in the lab. Yeah. And my boss and my senior, they were both so passionate and it was really contagious. And I was just like, yes, this is awesome. This is, this is what I'm doing. Because yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of people seem to sort of separate science from like emotion and feeling like I feel like it's and like this is one field in particular. Well, it's, I think most things are, are sort of a combination of both like, uh, you know, wellness and mental well-being and science. But in this case, you know, with fertility issues, it's a crazy like hyperbolic. It's just like sci- loads of science and loads of heartache and and stress and grief and joy hopefully for some Mm. people so it's just interesting how like uh, you as a scientist which we people think of as very uh you know data driven data driven science driven not well (laughs) yeah but like i'm totally a science nerd it's absolutely okay i think people sometimes do see us as like sort of introverted we're just sort of in there in the dark lab like working at microscopes (laughs) and doing our own thing but um because i i mean ivf in particular it is it is such um a team-based job you have to be good at communicating you have to be i mean you just you have to work well with others essentially and so it's it's a little bit more than just the sort of like nerd in the corner um and and then yeah of course with um having to occasionally um convey you know bad news to some of our patients we we get a lot of um empathy training and things like that and so it's yeah we're not we're not just the weird nerdy people in the background (laughs) um we do have a lot of patient contact as well and so that that's a very important part of the job yeah I think that call that's the call that's really important kind of milestone in the IVF um, process that call from an embryologist that says, "Oh, we collected this many eggs, and uh, this this is we're going to keep." So that's from an embryologist, not the consultant, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got two these notifications. Yeah, I thought. See, I'm learning now. Yeah. I thought a consultant. I thought all the news would go because I've had operations on my nose for things and whatever, and I, it's it's always gone back to the consultant, and then their secretary or whatever passes on news which is, um, but in this case, obviously you get the people at the lab themselves, people like yourself. Um, so now you're a coach, um, mm-hmm. and do you, do you compare the two jobs, prefer one, do you miss aspects of, of one compared to the other, or are you like, to, you know, I, like, do you want to talk about the differences between the two and adjusting sure. to it? I... I do occasionally miss the lab because um, I did. I did just find it amazing. But in in general, I am I am very happy doing what I'm doing now, and I feel like the sort of patient support, but now clients for me, they're not my patients anymore, um, was just a very important part of the job for me. And mm-hmm. I I did kind of get to a point where I felt like it wasn't necessarily provided as enough as it should have been um so that's just the kind of service that i'm trying to to give people now is this like a popular thing um in other places in the world is it like a uh established kind of thought of because you said earlier uh, that you were kind of you saw a, a gap mm-hmm. that needed filling kind of thing but you are still trying to work on how how people can find you because people might not know it's an actual thing but I just wondered yeah. in other parts of the world is it kind of established and I don't know to be honest I think I'm still kind of fairly new to the whole marketing bit um there are a lot of coaches out there I think I'm one of few that has the embryology background um I know there are a few in Australia um but a lot of the other um, coaches or mentors out there are a bit more on the mind-body side of things um, and might not necessarily be the support throughout a treatment, but, you know, possibly, um, you know, if you've been struggling to conceive, come to me and, you know, we'll, we'll work on how I to think... feel better about your journey, for example. And those, I, I think they are potentially a bit more well-known. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I think, yeah, so I think, and being an embryologist beforehand gives you such a 
perfect perspective on the whole process as well. Thank but, you. I mean, so I guess you could have, you sort of, um, you know, you, everyone's always learning and developing and stuff. So um, you've got the science nailed. Inside information <laughs> on all the processes yeah. and everything. Exactly. I, I would feel a little, I don't know, I would feel, if Becky said I'm seeing a uh, fertility coach, I think, I think um, Becky mentioned you as a fertility coach. And the first thing I said was, is she a scientist? <laughs> you said, is she a doctor? Yeah, because <laughs> I felt, I felt, and this is, this is just me thinking out loud, no disrespect to people without medical degrees or anything or science degrees or whatever, but like to get advice off something that important and scientific from someone that might not know what they're talking about kind of worries me a little bit. I think that's what I was going to talk to you about as well, is that it's interesting because coaching is um, very different in a way to counselling. Obviously, there's similarities, but it's a different service, isn't it? It's a different experience. Can you yeah. tell us a bit more about that? Well, um, I think <laughs> some, it is tricky because um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I'm obviously not a counsellor or, or a therapist. Um, and I think... <laughs> At this rate, you'll probably be like, you know, all three next week <laughs> gosh you need something like no no no. for there is there there are rules um i think in order to to become a therapist or a counselor you you do actually have to be registered in the uk and you do need a degree and you do need like four or five hundred hours of mm. like client work client so work. that's that um I don't have a degree. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's on the cards just yet. But um, no, I I think therapy and counselling um, obviously also um, has um, a, a valid um, place in, in helping couples who are struggling. I think sometimes uh, therapy can be focused on working maybe a bit more about your past and and even if coaching does sort of address the things that you've you've done in your journey so far you kind of I mean in life coaching in general what it is is just kind of like making uh, a plan a plan of action and um sort of visualizing your future goals and and trying to take um you know a positive sort of stance to to achieving that I think that's a bit of what the the mind body fertility uh, specialists do do work at um, with, um, but yeah, I think I I possibly have a little bit of that, um, but also with um, a science base. <laughs> yeah, and it's all kind of looking forward and helping you make those choices because I think exactly. um, not within fertility coaching, but in other areas of business and life people talk about coaching and mm -hmm. sometimes trained in coaching and from what I know it's kind of your job as a coach is to kind of um assist that couple or that person make choices that are right mm -hmm. for them rather than telling people exactly what what to do yeah. um so you offer advice and share what's out there but they, you're leading them to make their own choices and there are so many choices that couples going through fertility have to face isn't yeah. there yeah Definitely. Um, so yeah, when if um, couples come to me and they say that I've done this, this, and this, and like, what are my next steps? Mm. Um, I I can properly tell them like, this is what you should do. This is this is who you need to see or who you need to talk to, and this is what you can do. If there are things you want to try before IVF, these are the things, and and you know, I'll have science-backed research to do them, but also kind of put a bit of the sort of life coaching spin on things whereas you know it's it's something that you a conclusion that you reach together or mm. more my clients possibly um coming to that decision because it it does it, it it kind of makes you feel a bit more positive about your journey I think when you yeah. when you know that you're making an sort of an, an educated decision based on all of the facts that you've got in front of you and and you have a plan and that kind of makes you feel a little bit better about a journey that you don't really have a lot of control over um yeah. and especially in terms of I mean it's it's a long waiting game and I think by making decisions it kind of helps you have a plan and then you've got things on a list that you can tick off and it just kind of yeah. gives you that little bit more of a sense of control of 
Definitely. And, and having that regular check-in with you as the fertility coach, you kind of, you feel like you're making, like you said, getting to those milestones or reaching goals without actually... You're making progress, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're making progress without waiting all the time. Yeah. And you've got some something achievable and manageable. And mm-hmm. like you said, gives you a bit of hope and faith, I imagine. Yeah. So could we potentially talk about um, a hypothetical client? Like, mm-hmm. for example, if we were a client how would we go about fertility coaching and you know like how does that process work um you know like because a lot of people are probably just hearing about fertility coaching Mm -hmm. for the first time and they're like what is that yeah so we've kind of established what it kind of is Mm -hmm. or can be um but how would it kind of in in practice a hypothetical we could even use us as a as a as a dummy for a you know a, a explanation, a kind of a mock case study type of thing. Mock case, sure. Um, so the the first thing that I would um, ask for is just a little bit more of your background and and kind of get get to know what you've done up until now, and try to work through what the game plan is for for your next steps. And um, a few of the main aspects that we always try to look at is um, sort of lifestyle advice and, and tips. If there's anything that needs to be addressed on those side of things, mm-hmm. um, we look at the emotional aspect and how you're coping with what has been going on. And if there are things that you feel like you need help with um, some people don't, I mean, I try to finish off my sessions with a little bit of a, a nice sort of calming meditation with some, affirmations and kind of you know make you feel a little bit better at the end because because sometimes honestly like there are tears <laughs> in sessions yeah. when you're working through all of the emotions of like what you've been through so far so it can be quite nice to kind of finish off with something like that and not everyone is open to that which is fine um and then when it comes to the sort of future plan we we will look at the history and see what next steps could be possible to take um i think if there is if if there's already sort of a plan to to have ivf where you've got something booked in the future then there might not be a lot of coaching that i could help you with if if you've got a plan and you're sort of happy with what's going on then i might not be the right person for you but if you want someone by your side through the ivf treatment then i'm i'm the person for you so sort of to drill down, mm-hmm. I'm sort of exploring all of these things as you're seeing them. So to drill down, uh, lifestyle choices. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it, our IVF uh, f- fertility, our IVF troubles um, are male infertility, and I've got a low count. My brother has got a low count as well, mm-hmm. um, and he had two tests then, both returns 0.1 and 0.4. So I can't basically I think it was pretty much similar to me and I had 0.1 and 0.3 like from you know from the two the two times apart so the doctor Dr. D'Angelo I think told me that it was genetic it's kind of like that's your thing likely to be yeah I still haven't seen the physiologist they're not physiologists urologists urologists so in my head I'm like okay, there's not much we can do. Mm. IVF is the thing we got to do. Mm. Um, but I'm still working on lifestyle things, mm-hmm. as in uh, drinking less, trying to sleep more, mm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, they're the main things that I can think of. But I mm. wanted to ask you a question as well. I'm training for like um, an Ironman. So I'm running like maybe two or three, tw- uh, maybe two 20Ks a week or three 10Ks a week, riding 100 kilometers plus, like doing a lot of training. I was like swimming an hour a day. Like That's amazing. Of... <laughs> well done. But, but is it though? This is what I wanted to ask you because... I've um... read that bike riding isn't so good, but I'm not sure. And so you were the... like, no, no, it can't be. <laughs> the bike riding thing is more the, I think, the position of saddle to yeah. <laughs> testicles yeah. to be frank um so it i think it just depends on if you've got proper bicycle shorts and you've got a little bit of extra protection it should be fine i think yeah. hard hard endurance training things like that it, it 
it shouldn't be a negative for your yeah. for your fertility and it, it shouldn't be hurting your your sperm sample and i think if 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 it is in fact genetic which the conclusion is probably made based on the fact that both you and your brother have had it so that's that's where they're basing it on then i don't know if i told him about my brother you did okay <laughs> no no, no but, uh, so as a scientist or an embryologist someone involved in the team would you take that information from the family as a, that, as a th- they would um i think in the initial consultation, you go through a lot of paperwork that has your sort of a patient history, and they would ask if family members have had trouble conceiving. Okay. And you may or may not know the answer to that question. But if, I mean, that was something that you knew that your brother had, mm. and that, that's probably the conclusion that they've made. Um, because, uh, you know, I think when it comes to a count, a sperm count, that is, there's, there's yeah. not there's not a lot that you can do to improve it drastically. So mm. for the um, the number that you have, I would assume the recommendation is to be doing ICSI when you go through yeah. your fertility treatment. Yeah. Um, what you would want is to have, I think our cutoff in the lab that I worked before was the, the WHO criteria was that it had to be above 15 in order to do conventional IVF fertilization. So 15,000 or 15 million. Million. Yeah. So, and I was 0.1. Mm-hmm. Zero. So that's 100,000. So what, what you have is suitable for ICSI. Um, mm. But the things that you would sort of, you know, try to do to improve the count would not necessarily put you above 15 million so that's, that's yeah. probably you'd why. have to do so much like because <laughs> because it's a, a huge increase but, isn't it you know just what well, this kind of um, made me look into general like health stuff and um you know i, I was my, like my diet's not amazing but i'm trying to eat enough protein try, i don't get enough sleep which i'm trying to work on as well but um i did a little bit of research and I'm very, very careful at who I listen to because there's so many information on the internet. You can literally believe anyone. So I, you know, read stuff that had like, um, clinical trials, double blind Mm -hmm. placebo control tested stuff Mm -hmm. that proved. Um, and it turns out that quite a lot of people are are deficient in like magnesium and, Mm um, and vitamin D, um, and zinc and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. like I basically, I'm really bad at sticking to the schedule with it, but I bought all the I bought um, the recommended daily amount, um, and it's probably even worse for me because I'm doing all this training. I imagine like it's hard to keep it up, but that that's my uh, that's something I'm trying to work on. Basically, right. trying to have my nutrients and all of all of those supplements would be really good um, boost. I think the things that can be important for sperm health are things like folate, which is the natural form of folic acid, um, zinc, as you said, vitamin D, and we don't get enough because, you know, sunshine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's true for the the general population of the United Kingdom. Um, And um, so antioxidants as well, because antioxidants are really important to block um, free radicals, which can have a negative impact on sperm quality. So again, that's not necessarily the count, but my, my quality was correct. good though yeah. the mobility and stuff was good they said yeah, I think that was yeah. Okay. yeah um but it's yeah it's interesting like i'm 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 hoping we can like they've scheduled an appointment for me to see the urologist because <laughs> i i got a feeling um because i got something checked out i thought i had the, an issue before and i had something checked out and i it, they uh ultrasounded me and stuff and it was there was nothing to worry about but it feels like i might have had like a some scar tissue or a cyst or something on on um yeah they said when we get to the fertility clinic they will probably consider you for urology because you said about trauma as well because i've had loads of bike accidents yeah he used to ride bmx as well so well teenager young man yeah (laughs) but still yeah (laughs) well not quite but if lockdown comes in and i can't go anywhere i might do Yeah. yeah but it's um yeah, I just wonder how many people like, because then my brain started going down. You know, oh, was I've what have I done? I've I've rode bikes. I've 
had you know crashes on bikes i've been in a car crash and i started going through all of these things like what if it's this and what if it's that mm. is it possible to have like a blocked tube like to have like scar tissue and just have a blocked tube or something or it is it is but that is also something that they would be able to pick up if you go see a, a urologist i i feel like that's something they could have picked up from a scan if mm. Yeah, I think this is why it's amazing always... for your clients because you have that kind of insight into yeah. fertility. So everyone who's coming to see you so far are really lucky. Kind of, um, Fuzz is like going down that road. What you can expect. So you kind of ask them what what their history is and where mm-hmm. they are and mm-hmm. kind of what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And then how often would they speak to you and kind of how long did they speak to you and when... it depends on them really. I think um, I I try to book in for um a sort of the initial um well the initial uh chat is is free but then we kind of go through if they if they do want more of the ivf mentoring than it is like um four one hour sessions that is alongside treatment mm-hmm. um otherwise we we start off with a one hour session and and go from there and yeah. see if they feel like they need more support after yeah that's good. I imagine as well, a lot of your clients are probably, do, are they coming to you kind of from a fresh perspective like us, like where they haven't had IVF yet? Or is you, are you more commonly seeing people who've had IVF and then they've had, um, they haven't had success from a cycle? So I, I have had, I guess it's a mixed bag actually, because I think, I think actually most of most of the people who've been in touch recently have had one or two failed cycles and mm-hmm. wanted to evaluate a little bit about what had happened in the previous cycles and see if there were any steps that they could take to prepare themselves for the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the two most recent ones, I think were like this, this upcoming cycle is going to be our last. So we want to put like everything into it. Like what are the things that we can do to make yeah. sure that, you know, that egg quality is good, that sperm quality is good and that we're in the right headspace. Yeah. Um, but no, equally, I think one of, one of my first clients was a first time IVF um, patient. And that's um, kind of what spurred me on a bit more. Yeah. I guess people and clients coming to you from that perspective have a little bit of the fear of the unknown. Mm. I mean, like Fuzz said in previous episodes, I read, 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 read and listen, listen. listen. I don't though. Like I, I, yeah. I want to, but I stop yeah. myself because I know that you can find whatever you want. You just find confirmation bias by anything. Yeah, we're yeah. opposite ends of the spectrum. So I want to know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And I look. But I kind of feel like you're yeah. causing yourself problems sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and so people would like to come and see you because maybe they, they, they're interested in mm-hmm. finding out what to expect and what they can, yeah. how they Absolutely. can prepare. And I think while I can explain that to them, I simultaneously try to bring them back to the present and say that you know it's it's good to be prepared for the things that are happening in the future but if it becomes a bit obsessive or if it becomes um a bit if it if it adds more anxiety and stress then then we need to work on kind of focusing on what's going on right now um so there i there are good aspects to, to preparing yourself and knowing what's going to happen. But if it is um, giving you, you know, keeping you awake at night or if it's if it's giving you more anxiety about, you know, what's what's happening, then it would probably um, like, be good to maybe practice some mindfulness techniques. Yeah. And the stress of like doing back. it all and being so pressured with it yeah. could probably raise your blood pressure i imagine and like just put you in this place where you're like stressed your body's mm. i mean well he, that's that's a that's a question you're the expert <laughs> yeah. Yeah, is just... it is it possible to to be so you know is it like medically like obviously you said is it medically possible to be so amped up and worried about doing everything <laughs> perfectly that you can actually cause your body stress and then th- and then that makes has a negative effect on everything so i think 
Oh God, I listened to a really good um, talk at the latest sort of uh, conference, which was virtual. But I think one thing that we need to be clear on is that infertility and an infertility diagnosis causes stress and being stressed is not going to make you infertile. Um, but mm -hmm. being stressed may lead you to maybe not so good coping strategies. So there are things that we do when we are stressed uh, that might yeah. be bad for your fertility. So it's kind of an indirect effect. So yeah. For example, like people might drink more. so you can sit in a room. People might just drink like, more. People yeah. might smoke cigarettes, which Sleep cigarettes less. is one of the biggest things that we know to have uh, a negative impact on both male and female uh, fertility. Sleep is definitely a really big one, and mm. yeah, because if you're taking magnesium, hopefully that will help you because that is a really good. I really don't care. sleep a lot, literally. Like, <laughs> I don't. I've never but stepped in. Always had well, if you've never, sleep, you? if, uh, if you've never done it, then I don't know. Do you feel tired? <laughs> I've got a weird like. I I used to, I did a lot of night shifts and night work and stuff. I left school when I was sixteen and just went off and worked night shifts in you know this working from six in the evening till two in the morning or whatever, and then I just did that for years. And I've always been a night person, mm. and um, I don't know. Like some sometimes I think maybe I'm just a night person. And I've been up early for the yeah. last week. If I can jump in a pool straight away in the morning and like swim for an hour, <laughs> I'm up and I'm knackered by the time I go to bed. But COVID's come along and yeah, you've been good for a few weeks. I think the problem is with being a night uh, walker <laughs> and a day sleeper is that often in the day everyone else is awake. So. For example, in the summer, you need the windows open because it's hot. So then you get disturbed by the noise. So that means your quality of sleep in the day isn't always as good. And I've got bad habits as well. Like, like yeah. I, I'm, you know, a self-employed person. I'm always doing something. I find it hard to switch off because I'm, I'm always, always like, oh, I've got to do that. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do that. Yeah. And then by the time I do like try and wind down and go to sleep, it's late. Yeah. And then I go, oh, I'll have a drink because it'll make me tired. And then it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And then like before so then you end up getting no sleep and it's even worse because you've had some a couple of drinks and then you're stressed because you're not sleeping uh, yeah so. <laughs> so anyway like i try my best to not do that it's, and it's such a normal thing though kind of getting into that that cycle and it's it's hard to break the habit um mm. but it's complete it's completely normal i think the invoke thing is but yeah. it's normal. I think the in vogue thing is calling it sleep hygiene. So it's like you you've already adopted some of it, like having a bath before you go to bed kind of winds Ooh, you down. That's um, another one. <laughs> Becky Becky, I I so as long as it's not too hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have not had a bath. Um I I have a bath pretty much every day. And I haven't had a bath um for like the last week and i've noticed or maybe i'm just putting two things together it's in my head but like i've noticed i'm really sore because i'm doing all this training but yeah. i'm not having a bath every day yeah. and becky has asked me not to have baths as much and i'm like but if i don't have baths i'll be stressed and i won't sleep very well it's because the, i know that the temperature of the baths that you have have are very hot and you're in there for a long time <laughs> so mm. you're <laughs> cooking them i don't want you to cook your spam there you go we've Boy, got a boiling, we've got a, boiling a lobster hot um oh, please let me have baths I, <laughs> no not that's, no 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 i think oh gosh i think as long as it's not too hot you should be we fine need a and it, thermometer. It, you do you do no honestly if you're if you say you're in there for a long time i'm sure by the time you get out it's not as hot yeah, the anymore. water cools down you only yeah. get the benefit of the hot um you only get the benefit of the heat on your muscles for the first bit and i use magnesium salts because it's quite easy to absorb for your skin mm. rather than a little bit of lavender essential oils to kind of mm. yeah. it works I, I literally i i love it i have candles I literally because I because I'm always around screens and lights and stuff, so I I dim stuff and I have like non-screen lights going yeah. on. I it's think funny. that sounds really lovely. Actually, I think mm. I yeah. I think maybe we should vote on letting folks have a bath. Thank yeah. you. I think we should for the sleep as well. I think yeah. overall, <laughs> like we say, we're not going to improve your count. So, <laughs> well, this is what I mean. Not easy. You're not you're not boiling them. It's okay. <laughs> well, we don't know. 
We literally don't know. We could ask if we googled that. You know that there would be about twenty different don't pages Google for that. each. Don't Google thing. that. Oh God. So I think yeah. that, Google's like, not always your friend. Yeah. It's never anyone's friend. I don't think. Mm. Always seek advice from professionals like yourself. Have you thought about starting a YouTube channel? I, I hadn't. I don't. I think... I'm not. I'm not sure if that would be. Um, would that be useful to people? <laughs> Well, think about it this way. Like we, I, it's kind of topical because we watched. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but that the documentary called "The Social Dilemma." Oh, it's on our list. I'm kind of scared to watch it. Do it yeah. on a day we, yeah. Do it, yeah. It's worth watching. It's important. It's like, it's really important to watch. But basically, um, it just confirms what I already thought. Anyway, like there's so much misinformation around mm-hmm. that if you're a uh, uh an expert and you know what you're talking about i kind of feel like you almost have an obligation to get on the internet and tell people (laughs) like but you know in in a way where you could educate i don't know i from a business point of view i guess you don't want to just coach everyone for free because it takes a lot of time and stuff but there could be a way where you could give people um blanket generic myth busting type stuff True, and then tell people how you could tailor it to them. That could and it could work well in the misinformation aspect, kind of helping quash that, but also help you you with your business as well. It is a good idea. I think the only, well, not the only problem. One of the one of the problems would be a lot of science is debated, debated as well. Yeah, exactly. So there are. methods and tools and things that we use in the lab which other labs or countries might not do exactly um and the hfea introduced something really good actually because they've got like a traffic light system on their website where all of the add-ons are listed because a lot of clinics would sort of advertise for certain add-ons and be like oh we've got we've got this we've got this culture media we've got this time-lapse incubation system it's amazing, come to us. And then the HFEA kind of put a stop to that because all of these add-ons cost a lot of money. Yeah. And the the point is not to kind of reel in clients based on what you can sell them. We're trying to help them have babies. Um, so they've introduced a traffic light system where everything is sort of graded based on um, the scientific evidence. And mm-hmm. and I think they even I think they even said that IVF in itself is is not like rated green because like yeah. it is disputed itself in places so um yeah it's as as much as it would be you know useful to some to maybe be on youtube i i think there would be a lot of people that just you know if, if they didn't believe it they you know yeah, you would anyway. You just yeah. get an army of people saying that you were like Wrong. hired by Bill Gates and you're trying to take over the world. And exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, that is exactly. Yeah. I, I don't think I could put myself through that. Yeah. yeah. I think the other thing as well is, um, like you said, um, not all medicine and, and clinical procedures are necessarily verified or, 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 well, they Correct. have to be passed to be given yeah, this but treatment. There's research, isn't there? So mm. some of some research can be re- research can always be disproved, and um, procedures can also always be reviewed and changed. Exactly. Um, but also, there's that whole idea of like a textbook person that people and procedures are based on, isn't there? And every every person is different, so normal or expected mm. for some people is not going to be normal for someone else. Exactly. So aspect too would you say that we are kind of like one of the more closed book type scenarios because of the male factor because you said there's not much i can do about the count and stuff you know um whereas like with other other aspects of infertility there might be a lot of things that you could look into and do and prepare for and stuff do you mean lifestyle wise well whatever i mean because I mean, I I there's not much i can do like so i mean is is it do you think it's more aimed at like so if there was women infertility woman's infertility 
yeah. female whatever <laughs> you call it like the other way around a female factor a female factor yeah would that be would, does that have more stuff to get into to be to, to, to affect and stuff you know okay so in in terms of there are also different types of male factor in fertility so i think for you specifically, like I wouldn't call you closed book, but um, I think um, there are things that you can do that are, you know, fertility friendly. Um, I don't think you should, you know, drink and smoke every day because there's there's nothing you can do about it in that sense. Um, but there are there are things where if motility isn't um, sort of as high as you'd like it to be, there are things that you can do to help motility or mm. um, even the morphology. So they're just because it's sort of, they're, they're just different types of male factor and fertility and yeah. different things that you can do in that sense. Um, I think the count in itself, yeah, you, you might not be able to bounce it up to, to having like conventional IVF, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep, leading a healthy lifestyle um and for female factor in fertility uh, in terms of, of uh, lifestyle advice and tips it, it again it, it depends on what type of um diagnosis there is and sometimes there isn't a clear one so um in general you just you just want to eat fertility yeah. friendly foods do fertility friendly things um, i think as well there's never really a closed book because even if you do have a diagnosis and there's little that you can do to change your situation when you actually get to treatment if you're not mm -hmm. successful then there's other things to consider that people might approach you about like if they uh consider egg Dif donation or options, sperm donation yeah. or or adoption um or surrogacy all those kind of things that's the their kind of topics and mm -hmm. things that might come up or reasons why people might seek help from from yourself is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are, I think there are just many aspects of, of fertility and infertility that, that yeah. people might feel that they need help with or just want, want someone to talk to because it, you guys have been um, amazing with your podcast and you've been very open about things, but I think yeah. a lot of people um, feel isolated because they don't feel like they're able to talk about it openly. And that's, that's, one of the the biggest things that I see with most of my clients is that they're yeah. a lot of the time they're happy that they have someone to talk to they can yeah. always drop us a message and yeah <laughs> talk to us yeah we always I I kind of feel like perhaps it could be easier for us because we're not actually doing it yet I mean obviously we're on we're we're going through the motions and we've mm. been seen too by different people but we're not actually experiencing any of those procedures yet. so maybe that's what makes it that bit easier for us um possibly yeah so for anyone that's listening who's thinking <laughs> i would like a fertility coach this sounds amazing it can help <laughs> me with all the things that i don't know about i can ask all the questions and be prepared <laughs> and and not just for like the actual science stuff and the the physiology side of things but to sort of have someone to guide you through like what happens when mm -hmm. without being without it being a scary thing without it being overwhelming just a very grounded but optimistic kind of looking forward perspective on what could happen and <laughs> wherever like i think that's I think I know what a fertility coach is now. Good. I hope everyone who's listening knows so, as well. Yeah, but my point I was, do appreciate that description though. That was really nice. Thank you. And if, well done, Buzz. And if you're a listener that 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 appeals to, you can go and chat and find out all the information over at Where can they find you, Sandy? I um so I am at Sandy Christensen underscore on which we will Instagram. put on the screen and in the description because so if anyone's like me oh my surname will... is dreadful sorry that's the Scandi lovely. Scandi <laughs> um, but also on um, sandychristensen.com so that has a little bit more that's my website that has a bit more details about sessions and yeah. things like that um, 
and there's contact forms, email addresses, numbers, however so, you want. So if you're interested <laughs> in uh, any of the stuff that we talked about, um, basically go over to the website and drop Sandy a message. Yeah. And- and before you go, Sandy, can I ask mm-hmm. you a cheeky question that I asked you about when we talked before? Sure. When people talk about embryos and they grade yeah. them, yeah. what what is that? Because people, that's what I've noticed on Instagram lately, that mm-hmm. people have had egg transfer and they're like, yay, this many fertilized. And I understand that if they fertilize that, that means that the, the it's an embryo now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does it mean with like the, all the letters and the numbers? What is that? So um, it depends on which day uh, an embryo would be transferred. Um, I think most of the ones that I've been seeing on Instagram most recently have been blastocysts. And um, the most used system to to grade them is the Gardner system, where um, the first number is how expanded the blastocyst is mm-hmm. um, so you would for example see a four and that means that it's a fully expanded blastocyst five means that it's starting to hatch out of its zona and six means that it's fully hatched and then the letter combination that's next to it stands for how the trifectoderm and how the inner cell mass are graded um, and so your inner cell mass is if if the embryo implants successfully that's what turns into the baby and the trifectoderm is what helps uh, create the placenta Mm -hmm. um so a is your top scoring for both so a 4aa for example would be a fully expanded blastocyst with uh top top scoring inner cell mass and top scoring trifectoderm cells so Mm -hmm. that's um that's what we've seen a lot of i think i did promise you that i would i would draw (laughs) one so I'm just going to try to do that quickly on my paper here. Um, I'm glad I know what that means. That was bugging me forever. I I, I think it's hilarious when they talked about us hatching. I don't know if you think of real eggs. Well, they they are kind of. So the trifectoderm cells are literally like these ones that that form. If you stay there for a sec, I'm just going to turn us off because the camera's not working. (laughs) This is my very, very rubbish drawing of a, of a blast. There we go. So you are full screen. Sure. Um, so the trifectoderm cells are are these ones that sort of the, that line um, the the blastocyst wall. So you've got I've tried to draw the zona, which is the shell, which is sort of all the way around. So these mm-hmm. trifectoderm cells. Um, this is obviously you know 2d but they go all the way around so they're in the front and they're behind and it kind of creates like a cobblestone effect and this is your inner cell mass which you want nice and tight and compact and that's what would give you an a and the more there are of these that would give you a grade a as well um and one thing um that is worthy noting is that you know your your top quality blastocyst like that of 4aa has very good chances of implanting, but at the same time, we we can't guarantee the the genetic status of it. So it might not be fully chromosomally normal. And mm-hmm. equally, something that is a bit poorer quality, like a four cc, um, might be completely euploid normal and implant successfully and yeah. into the baby. So so don't read too much into the grading. Yeah. Let the scientists do their thing. Yeah. 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 Oh, cool. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Sandy. Yeah, like, no worries. That's one thing that's been on my mind, being like, oh, I don't know about that. And I, I do find science, science is really cool. And I used to love that part of biology where you could draw cells and stuff. So mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> one, um, I actually have to say, my the, the previous clinic that I worked at was possibly my favorite because we were 100% time lapse. So we had... Cool. incubators with the built-in sort of cameras that took pictures wow. of the embryos like every 10 minutes of their development so we would sit at a computer we didn't get the embryos out of out of the incubator we didn't have mm-hmm. to take it over to a microscope we would just sit at a computer and then we could scroll through wow. the time lapse to like any cell division and like jot down uh, exactly what was happening if the cells were even or not and what timings timing is quite important in development as well so those are That's the aspects so cool. that we look at. yeah it's literally like 
that's the coolest thing about all of this IVF stuff. I just think like you're watching like miracles happen. Like unless you, well, the only reason that we ever see this in real life is whether it's animal, well, we're all animal, but whether it's human or, or another animal, you don't get to see it unless you do IVF because it's all internal and it's never out there. So it's a really special thing to be able to see. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Thanks so much, Sandy. It's been awesome to talk to you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. It was lovely. Yeah. And um, yeah, go and check Sandy out. Even if you're not interested necessarily at the moment at doing fertility coaching, go and follow her on Instagram because you never know when you might need a bit of help. And first calls are always free. So don't hesitate. Just get in yeah. touch. Hopefully I can. Come and say hi to Sandy. <laughs> cool. cool. Oh, All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank Talk you. To you Take All care. Right. Bye. Bye. So, Fuzz, are you completely convinced now? Well, I said at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. I, 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 was, I wasn't, like, super unconvinced. I just mm. thought it was a bit unusual, the, the term. And there are a lot of people that will try and, you know, aside out of this, you know, you've got to be skeptical of everything. Um, but I was really interested in what, um, what was said. And uh, I think there's, a, 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 you know, a really good value to having someone like that but on top of that the science mm -hmm. that she has is what really sold me yeah you know like is someone could tell you all sorts of stuff yeah and it might help you yeah. feel better but it might not actually be scientifically what is going on yeah. so it's like with this you, you're covered on all bases i think it's awesome. really interesting we could probably have like loads of episodes just chatting to sandy about the whole process and embryology and everything like that because it was so interesting and I was really glad to have the um, kind of grading explained to me um, and it's definitely an interesting angle to be coming from for her and for her clients to have that scientific background so and yeah, she it talked really it cool. you know it was interesting talking about like the different procedures different clinics and stuff at the same time I kind of myself think I'm better off not knowing all of that yeah yeah but obviously that's just well i don't mind dipping into it and stuff like yeah. that but I, like i like having someone that knows what they're talking about to explain yeah. it to me rather than read about it because yeah you know when you read forums and things mm. and like i think it can get quite you messy can be quite misled. quick yeah yeah but that's that's what's so awesome about sandy sandy sorry because she's got a second name which sounds like a first name i got confused maybe christian christiansen yeah yeah that's and, definitely your first yeah name well what she was saying was like she often helps people stay in the now and practice mindfulness. Which yeah, is, she keeps people grounded, which yeah. is kind of, you could, you know, because if you, the thing that I thought of afterwards was like, if you're paying someone to tell you stuff, I mean, obviously, whether it's true or not, mm. if you go somewhere and they tell you stuff and it makes you feel better after you, when you leave, you could get addicted to that, can you? Yeah. So, and say someone was not very, um, say there was someone out there that was like a bit untrustworthy or whatever, then it could be really weird. So yeah. it's, I like knowing that um, Sandy is, you know, an embryologist, yeah. has the science behind it. Yeah. And she's very, very, very reserved in like promoting herself, which is like an admirable thing, really. Like yeah. she needs, she probably could push herself a little bit more because she's but she's she's very aware that you know she doesn't want to trick she's not people trying into to yeah trick people or she's pitch like, anything or sell anything she's trying to be she's trying to do a job that has got real value yeah but understands the fragility of it all yeah you know and i think that's needed yeah she's definitely got like a sensitivity about her and that scientific background too which is really cool and when we're speaking and I'm allowed, to her and i'm allowed bath still yeah <laughs> and now we were speaking to her a bit after and um she's got like a really global mindset because she's traveled so far and been so many places which is really cool um so i i like that i think we've we've probably got a lot in common with her which is nice so good to chat um both scandinavian yeah. both speak three languages yeah yeah, yeah. we are not. both embryologists <laughs> you are kind of scandinavian norwegian genetics haven't you I don't know, pretty watered down. Yeah, but via your granddad, yeah. 
if I if I was a dog and I was trying to enter crafts in Norway, they'd be like, "What the no, hell thanks. is this? What's this? This is just a Welsh dog with loads of Norwegian stickers on him." Like, get this out of here! <laughs> oh, I'd feel sorry for you if you were that dog. Yeah, and I'd just go into the the mutts category. Mongrels. Mutts. Heinz fifty-seven. And then, uh, you know, sweep up, clean up, take all the medals. <laughs> get, get my own dog food deal. <laughs> well, what would your skill be? Wagging your tail. <laughs> Come on, Beck. You, you, be original. Come on. Be yeah, nice original. Probably, I don't know. I'd write Sudoku or something. I'd, uh, a dog that plays Sudoku. <laughs> if there was a good... If, I don't know. I'm being silly, obviously. Mm. We like silly. Um, yeah. In other news this week. Anyway. In fact, today. <laughs> anyway. Um, one of my kids said to me today, if you like kids so much, why don't you just get a baby? I like that about kids. They're so like... It was the one Naive, that said to it? me, just like, Mrs. Chukas, why are you so scruffy? <laughs> so that was eventful. So we've got a real life Kathy in my classroom, as if there aren't enough of them in the world. Um, and that, that is a wrap of episode 20. I hope you enjoyed listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs>